Hello and welcome to episode 22 of the Four Feathers Podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Nani. Tonight I'm joined by Tony Marchese. Time to crack them and get caught up on your Blackhawks. How's it going, John? Pretty good. How about you, Tony? Yeah, been a little better. It's been a, been a frustrating weekend for the Hawks. So, I mean, I'd be lying if I said I'm great, but uh, it's good to be back on the mic. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. No, it was tough. We, we've got the last week of games to talk about. Unfortunately, didn't go completely the way that we wanted it for the Hawks in this tight playoff race. But we're here. We're going to talk about them. Uh, we're going to get through it. And then we also got plenty of news and noteworthy stuff to get to. So without further ado, the last week of games. On Wednesday, the Hawks defeated the Red Wings 5-4 to four in overtime. Uh, that one was a bit of a thriller. Some uh, defensive lapses towards the end, but Kaner saved the day in OT. On Friday, back home, a 5-3 loss against Colorado. I was at that game. I'll throw out some observations after I let Tony go. And then on Sunday, a 4-3 loss to the Dallas Stars. Showed some fight in that one, but couldn't nail it down. And also a dumb penalty at the end kind of uh, screwed us there. So what are your observations, Stone? Well, you know, this week was kind of a, a little bit of a tease. Um, last time we recorded, we uh, we talked about all the scenarios where uh, we could be looking at a playoff team here. And uh, they started off on the right foot. I mean, even though you saw them let Detroit back in that game on Wednesday, um, you had a good feeling because they did they did seal the deal. That was Patrick Kane again, um, continuing his point streak there and uh, coming up with uh, with a big OT winner. Um, and, you know, that kind of sets the table for you to go in. Uh, I think they were within one point or had tied the uh, tied for the wild card at that, at that point in time. Yeah, they were uh, tied going into Friday. Yeah, they were tied going into Friday. They needed a little bit of help, I believe, on Thursday. Um, and they and everything broke their way. So uh, going into that game on Friday, uh, big game against Colorado, and you basically hit a wall, it felt like. You know, I didn't really like the effort in the beginning of the game. They kind of clawed their way back in a little bit, but uh, overall 5-3 loss. I wasn't totally disappointed with the way they played uh, overall, though. I thought they could have made a little bit better of a push. It just seemed like they weren't getting any puck luck in that game. You go into Sunday versus Dallas, it's a better team than Colorado, and you come up on a short end of a, of a one-goal game. Uh, they battled back in that one. Uh, it looked like it was going to get ugly there. But, uh, you know, give credit where credit's due. I, th- I think they got beat by two better teams than them right now. So, unfortunately, you really needed those games. The the one thing, I'm going to go back to, to the uh, the Friday loss, I believe it was to Colorado, where Slater Cuckoo made that, that errant pass. Um, that's where I feel like the wheels just completely fell off there because they were mounting up a good good scoring opportunities over and over again. And then uh, you give up that pass. They go back down the other way, uh, put one in the net, and it w- that was all she wrote there. So um, unfortunately, not much you can you can really do about that. It just it was unfortunate because it, this team had been on a good run. They'd been building a lot of momentum. And then to come in against the two wild card teams that, that currently hold those wild card spots and get beat you know, somewhat handedly, even when you played good hockey, you know, just I think it kind of set it set the mood back a little bit. Uh, what are your observations, Johnny? Yeah, on Wednesday night at Detroit, it looked like they just fell asleep the last thirty minutes of regulation. But then, uh, you know, just defensive lapses. Detroit was really pushing. Um, it was good to get that OT winner. Uh, Ward came up with a huge save, so credit to him for even allowing Patrick Kane to have that opportunity. So, you know, a win's a win. You take it there. Friday night, I actually I, I was not disappointed with the way that they played too much. They really showed some fight. Uh, came back from almost all of their deficits, obviously, besides the last one. And even then, they had a power play towards the end. I was sitting right on top of that goal where they were attacking. And Kane had sent one across the front of the net, and Saad would have had an easy tap in. But Colorado, I forget who the defenseman was, he was right on Saad's tail and just cleared him out of it, uh, completely bowled him over. And uh, you know, then the puck trickles down, and Colorado scores the empty netter to make it 5-3. So that that was disappointing that way, but I still like the way they pushed. They led in shots pretty much all game. So so I still felt confident going into Sunday. And then I see, you know, I couldn't watch the first period or so. And then 
I get to it and it's already two nothing Dallas. They score a third one there early in the second. I'm like, oh boy, this this could get bad. This could yeah. be where things turn around. And then you know, at least they they made a pushback there. And I know that you know moral victories don't count in the standings here. Um, but it, it, it just goes back to the team last year and even earlier this season would have rolled over and died. So uh, I guess that's one positive to take out of it. But overall, just tough, tough pill to swallow losing to those two teams that are right ahead of you there. Those would have been huge. You know, you'd leapfrog into that wild card spot if you win on Friday. Um, that would have been the first time they'd been in it since, you know, way early in the season when they'd started off, uh, you know, with like 3 and one or something like that. So it, it, it's tough, but uh, we, you know, we can't really look back. You can't, you can't change the past. So it's time to, you know, look forward. They got a three-game uh, road trip coming up, so uh, they got to get prepared for that. Yeah, um, one one of the guys, Johnny, that uh, that I was actually really impressed with on on Sunday was was Johnny Taves. He he was playing with a lot of heart out there. You could tell. He did not want to lose that that second game in a row. He he knew the ramifications. Um, I was I was really impressed with the captain's play, uh, especially on Sunday. Um, but you're right, the three game road trip coming up. Time to look ahead. Um, they've got a lot more uh, battling to do if they want to if they want to scratch something into the playoffs here. They they've only made it tougher for themselves. Yep, definitely. Uh, that Johnny Taves shot to uh, tie it up that was phenomenal. <laughs> he just picked a corner and absolutely smoked the crossbar and in. So that that was good to see, you know, effort from the captain there. And usually this would be the point where we talk about Kane's uh, point streak being continued, but unfortunately it came to an end on Sunday. Uh, it lasted 20 games from January 3rd through February 22nd. So that's still damn impressive over that stretch. He scored 17 goals, recorded 23 assists, good for 43 points. Um, five of those goals were on the power play. Uh, just a phenomenal run, Tony. We don't have to beat it into our listeners' ears any more than we already have. But this guy is on pace for a uh, you know heart trophy type of season. I know Nikita Kucherov has the point advantage there. But when you talk about someone who's most valuable to their team, I don't know if there's anyone more deserving of that award than Patrick Kane. Well, and the Hawks aren't anywhere in near the playoff picture at this point in time. They are, but they're <laughs> they're the absolute worst team if you don't get all those points from Kane here. I mean, just imagine what this lineup would look like without him. Just an absolute offensive threat anytime he has the puck. Um, like we saw on on uh, Wednesday night of last week, uh, you know, in, in overtime, there there he is. You know, it's you could probably take away four or five of those victories over the past month um, at least if Patrick Kane isn't in, in, in the lineup every night. So, yeah, it, it, absolute deservedness for, for Patrick Kane to uh, to be in the talks for that Hart Trophy, uh, if not the winner of. So, And I, I, don't, I don't see him stopping putting up points now. That's the other thing. Uh, there's still games to go. Absolutely. Still a lot of opportunity. Uh, I believe they still have 20 games remaining on the schedule, so still plenty of more time for Patrick Kane to make some noise and uh, assert his name a little bit more heavily in those talks. All right, today was the trade deadline. The NHL trade deadline was at 2 p.m. Central Time today. Uh, the Hawks did not make any deadline day deals. The league was in a frenzy right around those last 20 minutes to even the half an hour afterward. There were still trades coming in. But no, the Hawks themselves did not make any moves actually on the day trade-wise. So the comment from Stan Bowman was a couple of things were kind of on the borderline of happening, but at the end of the day, we weren't determined to make a trade just to make you guys happy talking about the media. It had to make sense for where we're at short-term and long-term and just nothing came together today. So last week we had talked about possibility of a D-man being moved or a Nisimov. None of that happened. How are you feeling about the Hawks kind of standing pat today, Tony? Well, you know, you read Stan Bowman's uh, quote there, and th that just screams GM speak, um, not really giving you much information um, as to, to what possibly could have happened. I mean, we could draw conclusions to uh, uh, what's been reported out there. I think it was Friedman that said that they were trying to move Anisimov, and, uh, you know, they they're probably approached in some of these same type deals where if somebody wanted to take him on, uh, we, we would have had to include 
extra pieces in order to get rid of that contract. Um, you look at some of the names of some of the forwards that moved around the league, and uh, I'd venture to say that a lot of those guys are more attractive trade pieces than than Artem Anisimov is. You know, he can play a little center, he plays a little bit of wing, but uh, you get guys moving around like uh, like Stone and Simmons and some of these other bigger names. Um, it's no doubt in my mind that uh, Anisimov wasn't exactly the uh, the prized possession that, that anybody in the NHL really wanted. So, you know, Stan didn't really have anything to, to deal, per se, that was you know, very attractive to any of the buyers that were out there. And, you know, this, this team has kind of teetered around, you know, that those last few wild, the last wild card spot and the last few weeks they've been, they've been in the, in the talk. So you didn't really expect him to go full sell mode. It probably would have been really nice to get rid of a D D man to see uh Yoki Haru back up here though. And, um, you know, what, whatever happens over the next course of the end of the season, uh, you're going to have to still juggle the same amount of playing time for all these demons. So it's, you know, it, I would have liked to have seen a move or two, but uh, at least we didn't get fleeced on anything. So that's kind of how I look at it. There could have been some really bad moves made. So, I mean, let's just be thankful for that. I, I'm glad they did not mortgage any future, you know, potential real contributors to like a core of a team just for a rental piece, someone that would only be a Blackhawk for, you know, six weeks maybe so that's good in that sense but i go back to my comments last week i believe if forsling had not been injured that kept you know the upper torso injury that kept him out for like a month earlier in the season from mid-november through december i i think he would have been the one to go i was kind of hoping they'd shop cuckoo but then again he didn't really play a whole lot before he's with the hawks so it's really only been the past month maybe a little bit more that he's actually been skating regularly. Yeah, so, and he made that big mistake too that I kind of touched on earlier mm-hmm. um, in, in crunch time in a game. And if there were any scouts there watching that, I think that one play kind of solidified that Stan wasn't going to be able to move Cuckoo. But you, you you talk about not mortgaging the future. You look at what the uh, what the Vegas did today with uh, with Stone, and they get the sign and trade. I thought that there was an outside shot that maybe the Hawks could be involved in a, in a, in a picture of you know a guy that they could bring in and uh, on the sign and trade. I know I threw out Panarin before, um, kind of a pipe dream there. But you know, how did you feel about seeing that Stone deal go down? And uh, what are the ramifications, Johnny? You think for the Hawks long term with uh, with another big free agent off the uh, off the market here in the next uh, off season? It really hinders what they could have possibly done had all these guys been available over the summer. You, you don't know exactly what's going to happen on the Duchesne to Zingle front, those other two Ottawa forwards that are now members of the Columbus Blue Jackets. And then Stone, you know, is a big piece. I think he's 26 years old. They, at first, he really I was watching TSN. He wasn't really talking about specifics of a contract. You know, I'm sure he uh, was aware of it, but, you know, didn't want to make that public. And then it comes out that what was he getting was at 9.25 yeah is that it okay so i mean that would have been you know excellent for the hawks but i you know you don't know what a return like that would have been i know uh vegas sent a real top d prospect and then a forward who had already been playing with them and then a pick as well so i I, it upsets me that i because i just would personally wish to have him on the team he's great player Uh, i saw him in person last monday night the guy tears it up but at the same time adding a forward to this group right now. I, I know it, it, we're talking long-term here. This would be eight years for Mark Stone. Um, I, I just think they want to go into an off-season and actually have that cap space now. Uh, but it, it's going to be interesting to see how Stan maneuvers through that because, like you said, that that slims down that free agent board quite a bit because that was a huge piece out there um, that I'm sure the Hawks would have at least liked to pursue now it's looking like, you know, they're at least going to inquire about Panarin. I, I think there's no denying that. I, I highly, honestly doubt that they would sign him. I think he'll be asking for more and he'll go somewhere where they can pay him more. So it's what do you do? Who are you going to acquire? What prospects are going to be potential pieces on that back end next year? It, it really just opens up a lot of questions more than answers for me. Well, and, th- and that has to bring up the possibility of Stan using some of this cap space in a trade. If you don't have, if you don't have anybody out there that you can sign, 
you're going to have to go get him via trade. I, I don't foresee the Blackhawks carrying extra cap space into next year. I mean, they've, they've carried this Marion Hosen money, what have you, for, say, now uh, over a year almost, or the course of a season, I should say. And they really haven't done anything with it. You wonder if they can get Anisimov uh, off the books here. You know, that frees up some more money. Um, they're going to have a significant amount of cap space. I'm not quite sure where they're going to end up, um, but they will have room probably to add something around $9 million at least because um, the cap's also reported to be going up. So they're going to have some money to spend. Um, but like you said, there's not going to be anything out there. And that, that It's kind of unfortunate timing for the Blackhawks as you try and kind of reload on the fly here um, what they're going to do because – I don't think you want to add another $10 million contract to this, to this club. Um, but at the same point in time, uh, you don't want to see Stan go and make a bunch of deals just to fill up, uh, you know, Brandon Manning type deals and giving $2 million out to people who don't deserve it just to, to use up some of that cap space. Um, so kind of nervously awaiting to see what Stan Bowman does with, with some of that money. Cause, um, Let's be honest, he hasn't really valued uh, players very well so far. Uh, he's, he does not have a good track record um, of that. So uh, that's, that's why I bring that up. You know, you'd like to see some of those those guys, um, you know, the, the top-tier free agents again, you know, on the Hawks' radar here because I think they do need another really, really good player, not just a bunch of below-average guys on $2 million salaries. I agree. It's worrisome in the fact that Stan has not valued players well in the past. You know, he saw Brandon Manning 2.25. I know it wasn't free agency, but Jan Ruda got an extension for around the same. Granted, he was able to move him, but that's still cleaning up your own mess. If you don't do that in the first place, you don't have to make that move to get yourself out of it. So there's probably going to be between 15 and 18, I would guess. In space, that's before making subtractions. That all just depends on where they set that salary cap for the upcoming season. Right. Because uh, it's rumored to possibly go up $3.5 million there. So there's a lot of room for Stan to make some nice additions, but there's also room for him to uh, you know fill in with, like you had said, below average players like a Brandon Manning or a Chris Kunitz. Or, you know, I know Kunitz is only a million, but still it's not really doing anything for us so it, it is it is worrisome but i also think they're going to push hard now you know they didn't get him off the books today they're still going to push hard to move anisimov cuz that no movement clause the partial one that he has that is done after this season so i, I guess that's one positive to take away from his situation when you i know his value would probably be higher if you got someone to bite on him but obviously no one was biting enough to move him so yeah, I that's, think this is probably their best chance of trading. I'm not saying they'd get the best return, but it's probably their best chance of trading them in this upcoming offseason. Well, and I mean, he, he becomes kind of redundant now that you've got Dylan Strom on this roster. So I, I think you can just kind of get rid of him and not take any return back just for the mere sake of, of saving that cap space. But what I'd hate to see, again, is Stan go get rid of Anisimov and clear up more cap space just to not use it because you know center depth is is something as well even though Anisimov's taken a step backward he's still a good veteran presence he's better than some of the other options uh I'd rather have a top three of Johnny Taves Strom Anisimov than throw say Camp in the mix so you know it's it's one of those things where at, at this point, Johnny, I don't know if his contract has to come off the books unless you're actually going to go pursue and use that money to get somebody who's going to be better. That That's just my take on that because, like I said, I, I don't want to be paying for Brandon Mannings. And I, I just I worry with another name like, with, like Stone coming off the board that that just opens up the possibility for stuff like that to happen because – I mean, who else? Who else is going to be really out there, Johnny? Um, who, who... There's Dezingle and Duchesne, like I'd mentioned yeah. earlier. Those are those Ottawa three who are now displaced elsewhere. So 
you don't know what those guys are going to be asking for for sure. I would assume Duchesne wants some decent money. I don't know about length of contract, though. That's other factors to take into consideration. We're definitely, towards the end of the season, going to do an episode where we profile almost every possible free agent out there that would be in the Hawks' best interest of signing. So uh, that'll be something interesting to take a look at there. But it, And then they're kind of also at a crossroads of uh, are you just waiting for these young defensemen to come up? Are you going to solidify that with something else in there? Um, in the meet, and like as a, I don't know, you don't want to call it stopgap because they still need to be a solid blue liner. Uh, they don't have much shutdown besides Duncan Keith, and even he's aging. We've seen that. So it, it's what do you do? And then you also have the worry about, you know, guys that say, oh, well, let's just wait it out. The D help is on the way in Rockford. Or in a lot the, of those guys are offensive know, defensemen again. Either... I was just going to bring that up and. You know, Yoki Haru, I'm not, you know, Yoki Haru's 19 years old, so I'm not like giving up on him. I don't want this to be taken that way. But you, even with his style of play, you don't look at that at him as a really quality, like shutdown defenseman, even at his highest potential when he finally is fully developed in the NHL. His best form of defense is going to be taking the puck away and, you know, skating the other way on offense. Um, a lot of offensive defensemen. It'll be interesting to see how Ian Mitchell develops. I mean, obviously, he's only a sophomore at Denver, so he's still got a ways. But if you're looking for a potential uh, you know, defensive defenseman, I, I know he'd probably be a hybrid mix of both there. But that, that's the only one that I can really pinpoint is that. Um, whereas you look at some of the other guys in the system. That's why you know we talked about last week they traded, uh, what's his name, Darren Radish to uh, the Rangers for basically yep. an AHL forward. He was an offensive defenseman. We never really saw him in the NHL. He never got a chance with the Hawks, but there, there's just a log jam of him there. And I know that's the way that the game is trending. You want your defenseman to be able to step up and contribute offensively, but there's just so many that seem like they're a similar type. So the, the, it's going to be really interesting to see how Stan either supplements it, moves any of them like in a package deal, or if he just lets it play out, it's going to be a very interesting offseason, to say the least. Now, what do you think they're going to end up doing here with Connor Murphy? Because he's signed for, for quite a while, uh, $3 million. I think that's kind of reasonable for him, but I, I don't think he's a top four guy, Johnny. I, I, I don't know if he's going to continue to to do what he's doing now, but... Wasn't he supposed to be that kind of potential to be a shutdown defenseman? I just don't really notice him out there on the ice at all. Uh, I think he stays. I, I don't think there's uh, the chance of moving. First of all, that contract is probably where they like it at three million. There, um, he's three you know, eight. Yeah, he. I mean, he's a physical specimen type of defenseman. You know, he's extremely you know strong. I agree. He's still kind of playing into that. They kind of thought that'd be more of a top four guy. He's kind of on that. I'd say he's more on the, I wouldn't consider him a complete non uh, top two pairings type. I think he's kind of on that fringe right now. And I, I think they're just going to ride it out with him. I, I don't see, I, I would, I don't think I'd want him moved. Uh, you kind of remove some stability. We talk about when Seabrook's out of the lineup, how that kind of destabilizes the defensive pairings. I'm not saying Connor Murphy is that same exact type there, but at least you can feel safe if you throw a run-and-gun type of defenseman with him. You can let younger guys make a few more mistakes if Connor Murphy's going to be circling back and covering their ass. True. I was just I was curious to what you thought about him because – I don't know. He's just kind of he's kind of the forgotten man, I think, back there. Yeah, everybody wants to talk about you know Seabrook and Keith, and then the other guys. And um, you know, we we talk about trade talks, and I don't think his name even came up once as uh, as a possibility to move. Um, just kind of interesting because I, I I really do feel like he's more or less the the forgotten man that's that's back there. Yeah, I just think he's solidified enough to where he he's not on the brink of getting moved. Uh, he signed for you know years to come. So I think they're just going to ride it out with him. I also, there may be some lingering effects from that back injury that kept him out until December. So I don't think they're too quick to uh, pull any triggers on Connor Murphy there. So he'll be around for the foreseeable future. Absolutely. Now, uh, Johnny, one of your favorite uh, players got moved, former Blackhawk Ryan Hartman. 
Um, I know you were dying to talk about this in uh, in the pre-show here, so uh, why don't you give the listeners what you think about this whole uh, Hartman trade? Yeah, so it was just interesting. Ryan Hartman was on the block for the second year in a row. If you guys remember, the Blackhawks had traded Hartman to the Predators last season for Victor Edgesell and two draft picks. Now this year, Nashville has sent Ryan Hartman to the Philadelphia Flyers for Wayne Simmons. This was just interesting to me because looking at that return, you know, at the time they were just picked. So you're kind of upset because everyone liked Hartman. He's kind of sandpaper and grit and had some hands, kind of like a good bottom six, third line winger type. So, you know, you kind of miss that and just the personality, Chicago kid and all that. But when you look at the picks that we got, what those turned into be, you know, Victor Edgesell is just meh. He's just not noticeable at Rockford. Eight goals, 14 assists through 45 games there. But the picks we got are Nicholas Bodine and Philip Kurashev. So those two young, both 19 years old, very promising futures, if I had to say so, just from the few highlights that I've seen and just tracking their numbers down. Yeah, so people are very was, high on Bodine. Yeah, it, it was, you know, it, it kind of helps me hurt less. Just, I mean, I know this is kind of an emotional attachment. I liked Ryan Hartman. I feel like a lot of people liked Ryan Hartman. Um, but at the end of the day, when you take a step back and look at it from what this turned into, he didn't pan out in Nashville. He didn't become some sort of superstar uh, second-line winger who's really getting all these greasy goals. He kind of stalled this year. I know he had a little bit of injury uh, time out, but... He, he never really became what they had thought that he could possibly um, play, you know, such a big role on their team in those top lines. So it, it never panned out that way. So I'm kind of glad it didn't for the Predators. I love Hartman, but that would have been really hard to fucking watch. It would have been it would have been hard to watch. It would have been a hard pill to swallow. So, hey, I think he fits well in Philly. So good for him. That's that, that styles right up his alley. And hey, just for everybody's. uh information as we've touched on many times before johnny is a closet philly fan and i'm pretty sure that he's really happy with this move just for the fact that uh he now gets to watch ryan hartman and claude Giroux play in the same game so um johnny's really really happy about that yeah you got me um i'll own up to it they're they're my eastern conference team if i have to uh pick one so he's there that'll be fine to watch um you know i like wayne simmons too so it sucks that he's on the predators but I think, you know, he's a free agent after the season, too, and I doubt – I mean, things could change. They could fall in love with them and want to re-sign him, but it's going to be fun to watch Hartman in Philly. Uh, that's my take there, and then hopefully Nashville just gets bounced in, like, the second round again, so we don't have to worry about them. Yeah, that, that's, I, I love watching Nashville not win Cups. Um, speaking of your, your East Coast team, Philly, um, they played in the, the Stadium Classic game. And uh, I think one of the most entertaining things that I've seen out of the NHL this year was Gritty doing that that little streaking bit. I think we'd be pretty out of touch if we didn't at least touch on Gritty streaking at the uh, at the Stadium Series game. There, that was that was good stuff, Johnny. Very good stuff. That was hilarious. The video that he posted on his social media account, he said, I've since been ejected. And if you haven't seen it, just go and look it up on Gritty NHL on Twitter. It's him running from one end zone of where, you know, Lincoln Financial Field starts on the lower corner. And then he runs across all this display and like breaks a few, uh, you know, security guards loose. And then he's running all the way across. And then there's like that kid's ice rink on the other side. Oh, the dive. Takes, yeah, the dive yeah, was just incredible. Like a, like a head first dive. And of course, you know, during all of this, he's, you know, completely like doesn't have the jersey on, no pants at all. He's just got the helmet on. And it, and it's, you know, so it's, you know, gritty streaking, quote unquote, streaking. And then, you know, he does the dive and then eventually gets up, runs off that rink and goes to like by the other tunnel on the opposite corner of where he started. Then the security guards finally catch up to him and like, you know, walk him out so to say, and uh, it, it was just hilarious. Uh, I was cracking up. Staged perfectly. Um, whoever's running some of that, that the the promotional mascot, you know, whatever the, whatever that department is over Philadelphia, uh, I feel like the NHL should give an award for that. You know, best Twitter account, best, you know, mascot use, just fan interaction. I think, I think Philly would take it home this year, you know, hands down. There's no even competition. I mean, you could go back last year and say that the uh, the Vegas Knights Twitter account did did decent, but 
but I think that uh, that Philly stepped it up with Gritty this year. Hell, he even called the the Gritty Award, um, and that should be handed out every year by the NHL at the at the award ceremony. Um, maybe Gritty could even hand it out to other people after he wins the first one. But uh, yeah, I just I had to bring that up because you know this is a this is a hockey podcast, and I think that that you know that that type of stuff um, that they're doing out there in, in Philly um, with Gritty is just excellent excellent stuff yeah it's, it's hilarious i like how the nhl is all about it they'll promote it you know retweet it all that kind of stuff um i agree there should be a gritty award um it's crazy to think the flyers never had a mascot and then someone over this last summer during the off season comes up with that in their marketing department they put it to life at first it's kind of like weird but then as soon as he develops his personality per se uh, through all his antics at games, both just interacting with fans and then doing stuff like that streaking bit. Um, it's hilarious. It's great. I think it's great for the game. It attracts a younger audience. Uh, it makes it gives you something to laugh about. You know, people can get really serious about it. The Don Cherries of the world. You don't want the Her- Carolina Hurricanes to have fun and celebrate uh, how they do with the full team celebration after home wins. So I, I think it's great for the game. So uh, those are my two cents on it. So here's my only question for you going into this, and I wish we had the full panel here tonight. Would Tommy Hawk win the Gritty Award next year if he got into four fights and won all of them? I wish. He'd win our Gritty Award, yeah. but you know the NHL wouldn't condone that. But it, it, if, they're, if they're staged and actually promoted and it's not like you know him actually beating the shit out of a fan, <laughs> and I think so. But yeah, Tommy Hawk's got to step his game up now that we've seen what Gritty has to offer. Well, I mean, Tommy Hawk's good at like beating a drum. And, you know, like walking around and being the tough guy. Um, obviously, he, you know, beat up a fan this year. And I don't even know if you'd consider that guy a fan or not because who picks a fight with Tommy Hawk? But I think Gertie's outdone every mascot that I've ever seen before. And I think that the other marketing departments in the NHL just really need to step it up because there's a, there's a standard that's been set now. And uh, I don't know. John McDonough needs uh, needs to get a, uh, a team together over the – over the summer break and, and kind of figure out what Tommy Hawk's next moves are. Yeah. So big questions for the Blackhawks this summer, big questions for the Blackhawks marketing department this summer. All right. So how we got on this whole tangent was talking about Ryan Hartman going to Philly, um, you know, a former Hawk there. And then we were talking about the return that we had gotten for him last year at the trade deadline. So that brings us to two prospects, but we're going to get to a word from our sponsor before we get to the prospect report and then close this thing out with a few other topics. Sounds good, Johnny. With that, we'll go to break. All right, we're back. It's episode 22 of the Four Feathers podcast. Like I had alluded to before our break there, it's time to get to a prospect report. The two guys that came back as draft picks in the Ryan Hartman deal turned into Philip Kurashev and Nicholas Bodine. So some stats on those guys so far this season. They both had decent weeks. Philip Kershev has 23 goals and 32 assists, good for 55 points through 51 games in the QMJHL. Nicholas Bodine, also in the QMJHL, real great puck-moving defenseman there. He's an assist machine, seven goals, 49 assists. That's good for 56 points through 47 games for QMJHL Drummondville. So it's good to see these guys that we got as draft picks you didn't know what that was going to you know turn into i think it was a second and a fourth is what it ended up being as part of that return for hartman uh see these guys actually start producing we know it's at the qmjhl level but a lot of guys are really high on nicholas bodine as a potential future uh great offensive defenseman so it'll be really interesting to see how those guys pan out Another exciting young defenseman, Adam Boquist. He had himself a week, uh, added a goal and a few assists through three games. He's now got 17 goals and 36 assists through 46 games in the OHL. And then Ian Mitchell in the NCAA for University of Denver. He's got four goals and 15 assists through 27 games. Evan Barrett, uh, the other guy that we like to talk about, NCAA guy for Penn State. He's still out with an upper body injury. He's missed the past two weekend series, so we still don't know the exact severity of it or if it's a concussion or just a shoulder-related thing. It was kind of an awkward angle that the camera was at when he got hit into the boards. So we, we still don't know exactly on that, but we'll keep you updated as soon as we find out. Now to the news and updates. David Camp is still out one to two more weeks with that foot injury. And then the big news. The big news came today that although the Hawks didn't make any trade deadline deals, 
a big uh, addition to the roster still as Corey Crawford was activated from injured reserve and Colin Dahlia was sent to Rockford. So Tony Crow's back. What should we expect from him? Well, this is going to be the, uh, the thing to watch, I think over the rest of the year, uh, whether or not the Hawks make the playoffs. I think Corey Crawford's return here is something that we need to be in tune with. I don't expect him to just jump in and, and be playing every day. Uh, and kind of put Cam Ward to the back because Cam Ward's been actually pretty serviceable. Ward's been a guy that we gave a lot of slack to, especially early on in the year. He's uh, he's really come out and been, I think, the most solid goaltender that the Hawks have had this year overall. I mean, Delia threw up a really good stretch. It's really promising to look at what he what he did for you know his first stint up here, and uh, I'm very excited about that kid's future. But Cam Ward, over the past week, if there was a goalie that I wanted in, it was Cam Ward. You know, you saw him come in in that Ottawa game and kind of solidify it and, and, and settle things down. That was the barn burner that we saw happen. You know, Cam Ward has proven worthy of getting some starts here. So we'll see what happens uh, down the down the stretch. But I think Corey Crawford's going to handle the bulk of the games. And what we got to watch is how he returns from this because earlier on in the year, like I said before, was... This team's been pretty bad when Corey Crawford's been in net. The team started out hot coming out of the in, into the year, out of uh, out of the preseason, and Corey Crawford wasn't really a part of that. Then Corey Crawford shows up, and the team takes quite a slide. Once he went back down, is when they started to put back together this 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 run, and I'm kind of curious to see how the team plays in front of him. If he can prove himself serviceable, I think that you can go two ways with this. I think he can either be an off-season move, movable piece, uh, to finally give uh, Delia the, the the net next year and bring in uh, a lower-cost backup, and uh, that frees up a ton of cap space for the Hawks to even go after something else that's that's even bigger. I mean, you talk about finding money for a guy like Artemi Panarin, and here you go. The other option that you uh, that you have here is is riding uh, Delia and Corey Crawford in the next season, and, and you freed up still some money in, in cap space by just not retaining or bringing back Cam Ward. So um, it's going to be interesting to see what they do, how Corey Crawford comes back. I mean, this is his second major concussion that he's suffered over the past two years, so um, don't expect Corey Crawford of old to just come right back out again. Like we kind of cautioned all the listeners in the beginning of the year, it's going to take a little bit of an adjustment period for him. I'm sure he's going to have some great games. I'm sure he's probably going to steal a game or two before the end of the year. But you know how Corey Crawford plays down the stretch is going to be the the determination of of whether or not this team actually is going to be a serious contender for that last wild card spot. I really don't know what to expect out of him, though, Johnny. My expectations are kind of skewed just because of the way that the team's played in front of him, uh, especially this season. Yep, so that was also at a little bit of a different period of time. I don't think they had that swagger, that mentality exactly. at that time. So it'll be interesting to see how that kind of plays out here with the whole team kind of being elevated because of this uh, recent push. Uh, that winning streak that they went on. So the details on Crawford there, though. So he sustained the concussion on December 16th. He's been out for over two months, but he had been practicing over the past two weeks with the team. He even traveled with the team to Detroit, even though he wasn't activated yet. He traveled last Wednesday to Detroit. So those are positive signs. He himself, last week when we had talked on the podcast, he had already made comments that he felt ready. He had just not gotten the exact medical uh, clearance. So over the weekend, he did take his concussion test, passed it. So he has been activated today. And then the Hawks sent Dahlia down to Rockford. So right now, they're rolling with Crawford and Ward. They got a three-game road trip coming up on Saturday and Sunday. They are back-to-back. So that's when I would probably expect Crawford in one of those. That'll be interesting to see. But as your point with uh, Ward, even if they're not going to bring him back, hey, you're paying $3 million for him right now. Get your money's worth. Split them for the, you know, like, like they had been with Dealey and Ward, kind of alternating. Split them for the time remaining as Crow can slowly work himself back into this mix. And then if he's really proving that, you know, he's back in, you know, top shape, Crawford that is, let him be your number one. And, uh, you know, use Ward when you need to on the second half of back and back to backs or uh, you, you just want to give Crawford a day off down the stretch. But I, I agree with you. It'll be a major uh, determinant in what the Hawks 
do this season as in contending for that wild card spot or in the off season of if they want to move him, what they want to do for the future, if they even want to, you know, entertain the thought of bringing back Cam Ward. Um, if they're just content with rolling Crawford and Delia in the future, um, there's a lot of implications to this, but as for what to expect from him, I would say like you, uh, we had, you know, talked about early in the season when he was first coming back, uh, reserve those, uh, expectations for the time being, uh, let him prove it to you that he's back. Don't rush him. Uh, I would say that from both a fan and a coaching standpoint there, I think you got, you got the perfect situation right now where Ward, he's not a game stealer per se, but he does keep you in games. So it's not it's not a terrible option to be rolling with this duo going forward here. Um, no, this duo is what you kind of wanted to see in the first place this year, and you're going to see them for hopefully the remainder of the year, barring any more injuries, knock on wood here, that, uh, that could crop up for either of them. But uh, I think it's good for, for Delia also to go back down to Rockford. I think they're... I haven't really followed them all too closely, but they were in their own little push too. So having him down there, I'm, I'm sure he's going to get a, a majority of the starts. Uh, the goalie that's really been forgotten about this whole entire time was Anton Forsberg. Um, I'm, I'm actually surprised that we haven't really checked back in and, and seen what he's done at all. Um, but uh, I, I kind of think that's a good thing that we haven't had to, to bring him up at all on this podcast since uh, the beginning of the year. You know, he was he was hurting. He was in a position that he wasn't ready for last year, having to serve as that backup role. It's made the most sense. I think Ron Luce had said it on one of the previous episodes here. It made the most sense that Delia would be the guy to be sent down. He's already paid, so you can't take this as a, oh, we don't have faith in you or any move like that. It's just the guy, your main guy. Everyone knows that Corey Crawford is the main guy. He gets the most money out of all those goaltenders he's won you two cups he's the main guy daily still has options ward would walk if they would try to even approach him about sending him down so it's not a slap in the face to colin dalia i think he kind of came back down to earth over the past week and a half or so uh he had a good run but i think that'll uh if he can help solidify rockford uh for a playoff run that that would be helpful down there uh, so I, I think it's a fine situation for everyone involved, um, unless they're rushing Corey Crawford back, which I doubt they are. He's, you know, participated a lot earlier. You know, last year it was kind of like a morning skate kind of taking some shots and it wasn't really a full blown practice per se. He was kind of skating with Jimmy Wade on the side in sessions. Um, no, he, he was back in full practice, like yeah. I had said, for about two weeks now. So, it, it, sure, you don't want to play around with concussions, but I do not think he, he would not let himself go out there. I highly doubt it if he was not ready for it. So, well, and we even the, talked about it, Johnny, that uh, there's no reason for Corey Crawford to even step back on the ice if if this was as serious as it, it looked to potentially be. Um, there was no reason for the Hawks to even bring him back. Um, I do, I do still think that there's uh, part of the reason he wants to come back is this team is kind of just hanging around there in a potential spot to get back to the playoffs. I'm sure Corey Crawford wants to be a productive member of the team and be part of that run. If it so happens, it's just kind of unfortunate timing that, uh, you know, he comes back in after these two losses. He, like we said, is kind of the trade deadline acquisition for the team. We'll see if it sparks anything. I think that's kind of a good segue into what we want to talk about next, and that's the, the playoffs. Uh, playoffs? Don't talk about it. Playoffs? You kidding me? Playoffs? So as we've been doing um, on the past probably about four shows, we are talking about a playoff picture here. Unfortunately, it's not as pretty as it was at this point last week, but the Hawks are still hovering around in that vicinity. So let's get you the standings. Right now, Dallas is in the first wild card spot with 67 points. Minnesota in second with 66. Colorado is the first team out with 65. Arizona with 63 right behind them. And then it's the Hawks with 61 points currently right behind us. Vancouver, who plays tonight, they have 60 points. Edmonton with 58 behind them. And Anaheim, 57 right behind Edmonton. L.A. at the bottom with 52 that is a 
five-point difference. Sure, we can talk about the losses last week and say, oh, that was a punch to the gut. It was this and that. There are still about 20 games left to play this season. Um, things can still be sorted out. You could get some help by other teams, you know, losing, take care of the teams that you need to. They have two very beatable opponents coming up in Anaheim and Los Angeles. I'm not saying it's all gung-ho. Yeah, we're going to just because of our uh, 28th ranked strength of schedule from here on out. But it's also it needs to be considered on both sides here. Sure, it's it's not the easiest battle to fight. It's an upward, you know, uphill climb, but it's not unattainable. It, it's five points. It, it seems like a lot when you look at there's oh there's still two teams in between us and that last spot. There's there's still a lot of hockey to be played. So what, what's your take on the playoff picture, Tony? Well, so look, looking at the week ahead, uh, I mean, you kind of just teased it a little bit there. Uh, you get to the bottom two teams in in the West. Um, in Anaheim and LA coming up on the schedule here. I hate to classify these as somewhat trap games coming off of uh, playing against the uh, the Stars and the Avalanche, but uh, I, I kind of look at these as a little bit of trap games. You're going out to the West Coast. Um, you've got that weird random Saturday afternoon game. You, you even throw San Jose in the mix here. They're they're not an easy foe either. So, um, like you said, it'll be interesting to see how they put the the goalie matchups for those games. But, you know, we talk about the playoff picture here, and like you said, um, it's it's not unattainable. Uh, the one thing is is that most of the rest of these teams here do have a game or two in hand on the Hawks. So that's something we got to look at. Uh, you're going to need the breaks to fall your way. Um, and that's what we've seen kind of happen so far, is a lot of the, the breaks have fallen the Hawks' way, except when the Hawks have it in their hands. Um, you got to convert on that as well. We can't stress enough about how important it was to win those games over the past weekend, uh, and they just didn't do it. Uh, one of the things that I really look at when I look at the rest of the schedule, you talk about you know 28th ranked strength of schedule or, or whatever. The way that the, this team actually finishes the year, you're going to see a lot of divisional opponents. I know Nashville's in there. I, I, I was Winnipeg. looking at it earlier. It was Winnipeg, Nashville, uh, with St. Louis in there St. as well. St. Louis, yep. So you're going to finish this year, I believe, with four games against really strong playoff teams. This is the time where they need to actually beat the teams that they need to beat. It's very important to beat those lower teams and and win the games that you should. These are the games that they should win. If, God forbid, that they come out and don't get at least three out of four points against L.A. and Anaheim, I think we've got a really big problem, especially because... Even though Stan Bowman didn't make any additions, he didn't sell either. So he's leaving this this roster alone, and you could quickly see this team fall back just as as fast as you could see him fall forward. You know, behind Edmonton in that seventh spot. I mean, they're only what is it three points behind. So I I, I don't know. It's you know, LA is so committed right now at this point to to tanking um, that you know you're not going to get that you know, number one overall, um, it would be really far-fetched to see that happen. You know, I'd rather see this team, like we've said, in, in, in the playoff run, um, getting these guys some experience, even though this team I don't think is built for the playoffs, but just getting them the, that experience. Every game, like we said last week, is pretty much a playoff atmosphere for this team. They need to take advantage of the games that they can win. I, I can't hammer that enough. They they need to take advantage of the games that they can win, um, and especially this West Coast trip. I'm hoping to see at least four out of six points. Um, that that that's a necessity at this point in time. So, like I said, they're already a game ahead of some of these other guys as far as games played. So, got to make everything count. Everything's got to be crisp. You can't take a night off. I just wanted to add that of those teams that I'd mentioned in that uh, playoff picture there. Ducks versus Canucks tonight. Uh, the Oilers are playing the Preds. Avalanche are playing the Panthers. The, all those teams are in action, so uh, some of those will be caught up with the Blackhawks in games played. Uh, let's hope for some help from the Predators. As much as it pains us to root for the Predators, uh, you want to diminish, you know, the teams that are around you more so. You know, the Predators are already sustained in uh, one of those top three spots in the central. So that that's not changing there. So you want the Predators to beat the Oilers. You want the Panthers to beat the Avalanche. And Canucks and Ducks, if they could both lose, that'd be great. But just don't go to overtime so they both don't get points, you know. Uh, <laughs> that's about where we're at looking at 
tonight's games. Yeah, it's uh, kind of so. it's kind of scary thinking that Vancouver can hop us tonight. You know, you'd almost root for Anaheim to win that game, but then you look at the like we said the week ahead, and then you put Anaheim within uh, two points of the Hawks. It's not exactly an ideal thing either because you know they'll come out and try and uh, jump the Hawks. So yeah, like like you said, that's not really what we want to see. Yeah, it, it was tough. Tony, you had said it perfectly. We don't need to beat it too much. Uh, they really needed those two games, or at least one of them, over the weekend against Colorado and Dallas. It didn't happen. It's time for this team to just move on. My one saving grace here is that they've had, they're going to have those two full days off in between. So it's not like they're going from a, you know, a Sunday night game to a, you know, late flight on Sunday, and then they're getting out there Monday and they have to play. Monday night or a Tuesday game against these teams. They're going to have the full two days off. They're going to have full practices, um, and then they're going to be able to travel after that, and then that'll be a 9 o'clock start at Anaheim on Wednesday. All i got to say is boys got to be ready to bring it. Let's see that fire that Jonathan Taves was displaying against Dallas. Start another point streak for Mr. Kane. Yeah, let's get back into the groove. There is sometimes that, uh, risk of a downfall or a letdown or a uh, whatever you want to call it after a win streak and a real real nice like 10 11 game stretch that they'd put together before this there's always that risk um, but it, it's time to treat every game like a playoff game I know they probably should have been doing that this past weekend and I don't think it was for lack of trying uh, things just didn't go their way take care of what you can and then hope for some help from the teams around them. So we, we kind of touched on some of those upcoming games, but let's actually uh, give you the details on that. Wednesday night, the Hawks are at Anaheim, 9 p.m. Central Time start on Saturday, first of a back-to-back. They are at L.A. Uh, at 3 p.m. So like Tony had said, one of those Saturday afternoon weird start times. That's 3 p.m. Central Time. On Sunday, they are at San Jose at 9 p.m. So, Tony, what are you looking for in these games besides uh, those playoff implications that we already mentioned? Because we've already stressed the importance of that. Well, I like think just, we, yeah, yeah, I think we touched on it. in games, what are, you, what are you looking for? Yeah, I think we touched on it a little bit. You're going to see Corey Crawford in one of these games at least over the next week here, maybe two. You're looking to see how he responds. You're looking to see how he comes back and uh, hopefully puts out uh, – puts down uh, a, a shutout <laughs> you know that's what you you want to see Corey Crawford come back you want to see him get that confidence um hopefully the D plays well in front of him um as best as the D can play um and like I've preached you know Patrick Kane is Patrick Kane's offense is the best defense for this team so far you want to see him get back on uh another little scoring streak here so you know it's it, like you said it's it's really easy to see, see a team falter after you know good stretch of games and then you know some disappointment you're on a two game losing streak right now let's go back and uh let's put one in the win column before we start talking about three four losses in a row so uh you've got the right opponents up in front of you to do that um to start another little win streak here you know the the San Jose game does kind of concern me a little bit. You know you do you do have a back to back in here coming up this weekend. So, you know like I said, Kane Crawford, those are my guys to watch. Um, if you can get, uh, like I said, if you can get a good start out of Corey Crawford right away, have him build that confidence. You, this team could go on a nice little three four game run here, and we could talk be talking about uh, hey they're a point back again. So hopefully they can put it together, um, play with that playoff attitude. Um, the other guy I want to see uh, continue on his pace is uh, Alex Dabrinkit. Uh Guy's been absolutely a monster uh, on the score sheet this year. Uh, we haven't touched on him at all today, uh, but uh, one of those guys that I'm really, really impressed with. He's he's looking for a big payday coming up here in, in two years, and uh, uh, just the way he's played so far, every time he touches the puck, there's it, you just feel that there's a chance to score a goal. Um, I'd like to see him continue on the pace that he's been putting up there. So that's that Strom to Brinkett line is just one of those. I mean, they're they're they've still been clicking even through those uh, those losses. So I want to see him continue on that. Yep. So looking, my look at the week ahead is the Ducks first. First things first, take care of the game right in front of you. That's what they should be preparing for tomorrow. Um, that's what they've. You know, it's what's in front of them, what they can control. We talk about that. They had an opportunity to control a lot of it over the, you know, point wise over the weekend. That's in the past. I say just forget about that. 
look at this Anaheim team. They just made a trade today, sent one of their defensemen who had scored against us uh, last time we were out there, Brandon Montour. Uh, they sent him to the Sabres, so they're a little bit thinner on the blue line there. Attack them. Attack, attack, attack. Like you had said about uh, Patrick Kane, get him a nice point streak started again. Get Alex Dabrinkit just firing off shots as he's skating towards the center from the circle. Continue to convert on your power plays. Uh, that, that's been huge for us. That, that's uh, the look at Anaheim. You know, L.A., that Saturday afternoon game, it, it'll be interesting to see in all these when Corey Crawford comes back. I don't know if it's going to be Wednesday night at Anaheim. I don't know if it'd be Saturday at Los Angeles or if they'd save him for Sunday at San Jose. That's going to be, you know, a factor that is still up in the air to be determined. Uh, but no matter who it is, come out on uh, Saturday afternoon at L.A. They're the, they're the bottom feeders of the West. It, that's a team you should beat. Play like it. Don't play down to them. You know, don't don't let Ilya Kovalchuk run over you and score a hat trick. Tear through their defense. <laughs> it worries me. All man. it is, all it is, is Drew Doughty. It's Drew Doughty, and you just, you know, get them to take dumb penalties. Use that power play to your advantage and score, 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 and don't let them back in it. It worries me though, Johnny, because this team it has a yeah. very big, his, a very long history, especially over the past ten years of playing down to opponents, and that's what I mean when I say you've got to beat the teams that you can beat, and these are very winnable games. Yeah. So then on Sunday at San Jose, I am going to say this right now. I'm not going to make a guarantee, but I am bringing the Hawks good vibes. I am headed out to the West Coast on Sunday. I'm going to Arizona to witness White Sox spring training. Uh, for the upcoming week, a week from today. So I will be there on Sunday night. I will probably be getting into Arizona around 3.30 or so. That game isn't until 8 p.m. Arizona time. So I will be there out on the West Coast watching for my hotel. The boys are going to make us proud and at least put up a damn good fight. And I think, honestly, I would think that's when we see Corey Crawford, or at least I would. Or you do the Wednesday. If you're playing them two times, you play them Wednesday, Sunday, and let Ward take Saturday at L.A. So that would be my prediction. That's kind of where I was going to think it would be, too. You'd probably like to get him uh, in there game ready for that San Jose game. I don't think that's where they start him for the first time. I think that would be a little bit uh, throwing him into the fire. I think you do give him that start against Anaheim and then uh, and then Sunday again against San Jose. But you know they uh, they also could take it the other way and say uh, let's throw him out there against uh, you know the bottom feeders to get his feet wet. So it, it'll be interesting. It's uh, it's going to be a tough call there for Carlton to uh, to determine that. Um, but uh, we'll see what he does. Johnny, like you said, you're going to be out there on the West Coast. I'm gonna I'm putting my full faith in you on this one. Uh, you better be bringing the boys good luck, like you said. If not, uh, you're on the hook for that loss. Yeah, I know it's a lot of responsibility, but you know what? I'll, I will be cheering them on with all my might. Um, not exactly on the Pacific Coast Highway there, but I am in their general vicinity, uh, just one time zone away as opposed to two. So let's get it done, boys. Sunday night, San Jose. Um, other than that, you had mentioned about the decisions Colin has to make about when to play Crawford. Um, we don't know those yet. They still have a full another day of practice before they even travel out to Anaheim. So stay tuned to the Four Feathers Pod Twitter account. It's at Four Feathers Pod on Twitter. And then also on Instagram, we'll be posting updates on both of those. Um, we'll be, as soon as any news comes out, we'll retweet it. We'll get you updated on that. And then also blog posts as well. Those will be coming. So that's all I've got. Tony, you got any final thoughts? Uh, no, let's just get ourselves back in uh, in the playoff uh, picture here. Um, it's kind of been a rough rough weekend. Um, it was a rough week altogether, I think, for you and I, Johnny, especially in Chicago sports. Uh, let's crack them, drink it down, wash away that last week. Uh, we've got you know the Hawks coming back here. They're going to make a little bit of a run. White Sox spring training started. Let's let's wash away that last week, and just uh, and hope for better luck for both of our teams here um, that we've got going. A few housekeeping issues uh, that I just wanted to get to real quick. Uh, our guy Ron Luce uh, of the Four Feathers has uh, began a new venture, um, Northside Nine Podcast. That's a Cubs podcast. Any of our listeners who are big Cubs fans, uh, you can follow Northside Nine on Twitter and tune into their show. They're going to be covering the Chicago Cubs this year. And then uh, as baseball season gets underway, if you're a, if you're a White Sox fan and you haven't heard of Shy Sox Weekly, that's Johnny and I's uh, White Sox show. 
um, follow at Shy Sox Weekly on Twitter. Um, we can also be found, both of these podcasts can also be found on the same avenues that you follow uh, Four Feathers on. So tune into those shows as baseball season gets underway. Kind of the same type of vibe, same kind of content that you get here um, for the Blackhawks. You can find it uh, for your favorite Chicago baseball team too. So Northside 9 podcast for the Cubs, Shy Sox Weekly for the White Sox. Uh, let's go Blackhawks, and uh, there we go. Let's close it out, Johnny. Perfect ending of the show, Tony. That is all we've got. That was episode 22 of the Four Feathers podcast. And as always, let's go Hawks. Hawks. <laughs>